Comics Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to Linux Action Show episode 412. Wow. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah, guess what? Big show today. It's the snowball effect in action right here on the big show. You know, when you switch a user to Linux, a lot of magical things can happen, and we'll give you a little taste of what that looks like in today's episode. Plus, in the news segment, some rumors about that BQ Ubuntu tablet. Well, maybe not so much rumors as secret updates you probably should know about. Researchers have shut down over 4,000 machines infected. And no, they're not Windows boxes. They're Linux boxes. We'll tell you about that. And Linus... He's not giving up the good fight. He had a talk at TED, and some really juicy tidbits came out that affect us Linux users. Later on in this segment, we're going to go through a very interesting clip that will sort of be a, well, it's a theme this week. We have a whole snowball, snowball effect switching theme, and I think perhaps, potentially, Noah may have been inspired by our upcoming switching contest between him and Noah. Oh, you think? <laughs> You'll just have to wait and see what I'm talking about. Plus, we've got the feedback, but before all of that, Noah, do you know what we got? Picks. That's right, we've got the picks. And uh, the snowball effect starts right here, right now, with our Runs Linux pick this week on the show. Uh, Noah, do you want to give a little uh, introduction to who this is and uh, who it is that's running Linux? And I'll play the clip. Yeah, for sure. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a friend of mine that asked if he would, if I would be willing to help him, give him some advice on on building a computer. He wanted to he wanted to build the the, the computer to end all computers. And I said, sure, if you run Linux on it. Uh. And so, and so uh, we, I, it, it, he lives 320 miles away. And so at at a time that worked for both of us, I ended up driving all the way to Minneapolis and um, spent uh, spent a day with him. And we ended up playing on Linux and learning a couple things about Linux. And he actually ended up sending me home with his laptop. And we're gonna. Fly that to Linux now too. So fairly soon he will he will as soon as I get done with that, he won't own a computer that doesn't run Linux. And he actually contacted me this week and uh, <laughs> finally finishing steps in finishing a project um, that is amazing. And we decided to make it our runs Linux. Yeah, this is really something. I mean somebody jumps on Linux and then in a couple of days they're off to this and this is a heck of a runs Linux. Let's check it out. <laughs> Hey there, my name is Valon and I'm going to show you how to set up a Pi-hole. Uh, Pi-hole is a software package that runs on a Raspberry Pi uh, that turns it into a network-wide ad blocker. That's really, really effective and it's super easy to set up. Uh, I'm relatively new to Linux. Noah actually just recently got me switched over to Linux. My desktop computer, uh, my main computer, runs Linux now, uh, and I'm kind of diving in. Uh, I now have this Raspberry Pi that I'm going to show you, and it's running Linux, uh, and I'm slowly working all of my devices over uh, to Linux. So, kind of making the switch. I'm getting used to it. I'm still a little new to it, um, but uh, even I can figure out how to set this up. It's really, really simple. So the first thing you're going to need... I'm going to stop right there, and we'll play the, the uh, actual how-to in the feedback segment. Remind me about that, okay? Because mm -hmm. a couple of things jumped out at me. Uh, it's interesting, what, was it just recently we were talking about Bash coming to Windows 10, and now mm -hmm. this week people are reviewing Bash on Windows 10. It does mm -hmm. the heart good, Noah, to see uh, Windows users still, in light of that, 
I mean, I, I, th- I assumed it wouldn't really make a huge difference, but it's still, you would mm. think maybe some people would give a little bit of pause, so it's nice to see that that's continued right along. Mm-hmm. It's a good trend. Um, and so there's a couple more minutes left to that video, and I will play in the feedback segment so you guys can see how to set up a Raspberry Pi hole uh, if you want. So you must have been, when he called you up and said, I want to do XYZ, you must have been like, you just switched to Linux, dude. <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly well, because like if you think about the, the the things that that most Linux users take for granted that just confuse the heck out of a lot of other people, DDing an image, that that very concept, right, is 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 just mind blowingly is mind blowingly simple to anyone that understands it. But then you take somebody that has n- not really worked with the command line before, and that's like that's a serious process right there. And then to be able to get that onto an SD card and then load a package onto a Raspberry Pi, which isn't terribly powerful to begin with, not to mention there are the ton of tiny little quirks and issues that you have to work out when using a Pi. I was pretty impressed. Do you feel like? Uh, do you feel like it's when it's a Raspberry Pi that makes it um, more approachable to people because they know they can they can they can pick up this little thing and they can say I right. can I understand what this boy look it's totally transparent on the green screen I understand what this little thing is and I can put it I can put an SD card in there it's not a huge commitment and they start exactly. playing with it and they're like geez this is actually pretty neat and I could run the same thing on my desktop. Yeah, uh, and and that that's where you drive it home right there. If if it's only cost me twenty nine bucks, who yeah. cares if it doesn't work out? Yeah, yeah. most well, and really, it. really, it only costs you flashing an SD card because you, it's like a cassette. You can pop in a new SD card and run something completely different. So the the uh, the risk is low. Uh, and you know, I think that's one of the reasons why Ubuntu Mate is seeing a lot of people try oh, yeah. it on the Pi and then they're trying it on the desktop too, which is a pretty mm-hmm. interesting phenomenon. Which distro did he end up with? A bun- stock Ubuntu with Unity, although he has the the Mate desktop installed because uh, Unity does not work well with X2Go, and so he's mm-hmm. using Mate for when he X2Goes into his computer, mm-hmm. and then he's using uh, Unity. Were you well. tempted to put him on 1604 since the release is so close? Yeah, I was, but the, I have weird issues with 1604, and I wasn't about to. Okay. To, yeah. to, yeah, I, I have now gone to the point where any new Ubuntu rig I'm deploying for myself, I'm doing on 1604, but I don't know about mm-hmm. end users. It's, it's so close. Um, yeah, well, because you and I know, you and you and I have, have the experience to look at a problem and say, that is not an ordinary Ubuntu problem. Oh, you know what? That's probably because 1604, that will resolve itself in a couple <clears> weeks. <throat> ordinary users aren't going to know to distinguish the difference between, uh, yeah. you know, that kind of problem yeah. and something that needs and to be addressed right now. also for new users that are coming from Windows and jumping on Linux, uh, one of the trickier things for them to wrap their heads around in- initially is software installation. And right. um, when you're running a beta release mm-hmm. of Ubuntu, it's... Not always easy because a lot of the PPAs and whatnot don't work for that's, your release. That's exactly what I was talking about, actually. Yeah, is, yeah, like OBS, FFmpeg, those sure, yeah. those PPAs don't point for 1604 right. yet. And yeah. I know enough to know that I don't have. I've added them. Eventually, there'll be a 1604 package, so yeah. I just have to wait a couple weeks. Yeah. But he wouldn't know. That. Well, he would yeah. probably. Well, plus he can run 1510 for a while, so right. it's not like yeah. it's a big deal. And it's a you mm-hmm. know should be a pretty easy upgrade. Uh, OMG Ubuntu already has an article on on how to take your rig up to the next uh, release if you don't know how. Uh, speaking of new releases being available soon, DigitalOcean will have Ubuntu 16.04 when that sucker ships. DigitalOcean, sponsored right here. Use our promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and get a $10 credit over at DigitalOcean, a simple cloud hosting provider that is dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up an awesome Linux rig in the cloud. And, you know, when you say in the cloud, what are you really saying? You're saying on other people's computers. That's what you're saying. And that's why the computers you pick are extremely important. So DigitalOcean has data centers all over the world. That's a huge point. So that way you can be local. That's a really nice aspect. SSDs throughout their entire infrastructure. Another extremely important point, 40 gigabit E connections to the to each hypervisor, so that way you're going to get tier one bandwidth, and they have great data centers with great connections, and all Linux and KVM on the back end. 
DigitalOcean is awesome. And in less than 55 seconds, you can get started. Less than 55 seconds, you can have your own rig spun up. And for $5 a month, that's where they start at, 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, a blazing fast CPU, and a freaking terabyte of bad mamma jamma transfer. Damn, a terabyte, that is, but, but yeah, the interface. The interface, if I could marry interfaces, well, I don't know if I'd marry this one, but I'd probably have it as like my second wife. I don't know if it'd be my primary wife, but definitely be my second wife, because this is a great interface, and I would like to have this interface in my life for the rest of my life. Check it out. Simple to use, straightforward, extremely powerful, oh, and it's in a web page. It's not like, a, it's not like that's what's amazing about it, is they managed to make extremely functional, elegant, yet powerful app that's a web app. And they have an HTML5 console so you can get access to your rig from any of your devices, from post all the way up to login. You use that promo code, here's the thing. You get that $10 credit. Oh, and check this out, Noah. Now, it's not launched yet. So this is like, shh, don't tell anybody. I'm giving you a little DigitalOcean secret. Are you ready? You ready for this? This is a little insider's tip. This is a little insider's tip. Go over to digitalocean.com slash features slash storage. Okay? DigitalOcean is going to be launching block storage. Attach highly available and expandable block storage to your droplet in summer of 2016. And if you go to digitalocean.com slash features slash storage, you can get in on the early access program. That is going to be a game changer. Block storage, attach your DigitalOcean droplet. Yes! Thank you, DigitalOcean. And I think that's going to be a really slick way to do it. They have a great interface, a fantastic API, tons of open source code written around that API, and fan-wonderful tutorials. Not just fantastic, not just wonderful, fan-wonderful tutorials over at DigitalOcean.com. Go check them out and use the promo code. Here's the thing, all one word. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Block storage, Noah, coming to your face they, soon. Uh, when I signed up for the early, uh, the, the early request, uh, mm -hmm. they, they prompted me to tweet and Facebook. Oh, look at you spilling the know. secrets, No, You're spilling the secrets. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, tell me about Blue Cherry DVR, okay. our desktop well, app well, Before we get into this week's desktop app pick, mm -hmm. I ha we have to recap a second from last week's de desktop app pick. Oh, okay. I don't know if you're familiar with the oh. term eating crow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every once, every once in a while, somebody says something. Yeah, I know. <laughs> somebody says something or tells you something that you think is totally ludicrous and totally out there and just there for show value. And it turns out that person was 110% right, and you were 110% wrong. I don't know and who that might be. I don't know. To add insult to injury, not only were you correct about Simple Note, Rakai, after I, because typically anytime I have like it, like my mind explosion with excitement or frustration, he's the first person I go to, and he was less than sympathetic when I said, "Oh, Chris had this 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 epic, and, and it was great." And, and and he goes, "Scroll back like three weeks ago or two weeks yeah, ago, and yeah. I, I told you to use Simple mm -hmm, Note, and then it would mm -hmm, change your life." And mm -hmm, I went on this big rant, mm -hmm, and then you totally ignored me. And mm -hmm, I'm like, mm -hmm, "Oh yeah, I guess yeah. that happened." So not only have I switched to Simple Note from Evernote, I haven't touched Evernote in a week. Not only has that happened, hmm. but I have lived in the freaking program. I no longer yeah. am using the mind mapping tools to do notes. I'm doing all of that in Simple Note. And I it has taken over a it, I have three monitors that are my primary displays at home. Simple Note has its own dedicated display now because I'm in it that much. Wow. So, great app pick last week. It's amazing. It has totally changed my life. And, and we're doing show notes on it this week. And the ability to just click on that stupid button and go from markdown to preview has made like finding things in the show notes mm -hmm. ten times. I noticed your markdown was great this week. So yeah, there you go. I wonder why. You know, uh, we got some feedback too. Is like the back end isn't open source, which is a big bummer um, and uh, something to consider. That's why you know you got to be you got to be conscientious about what kinds of things you want to store in this. Right. Uh, but I, for us, it's not you know, worse than Evernote, though. Well, for us, it's a replacing Evernote and Google Docs. 
right. which is big. Both of which have closed source backends anyway. Yeah. So there's I don't have a bad thing to say about it. But so forwarding to this week's desktop app pick, I was at a hotel and they had a DVR that failed for their uh, security cameras. And so they asked me if we could replace one. And of course, we have some that we stock. And so I brought one of ours in. And then they said, you know, what we'd really like <clears throat> is the ability to and then they just insert the most convoluted customization that I've ever heard. But I said, you know, here's the problem is that I don't necessarily have the capability to do that on on our DVR because it's just kind of a stock box. You know, you just mm -hmm. you kind of buy it and then you get what you get. And they said, all right, well, we were told that we could do this with IP cameras. And I'm like, yeah, you can. That's true. However, IP cameras, the cameras are expensive and the DVRs are even more expensive. Mm -hmm. And they said, all right, well, we, we might pass that. And I said, Give me one second. I might have a solution for you. So <laughs> I start researching the different solutions. And of course, I first I looked at ZoneMinder, but mm -hmm. ZoneMinder. So for starters, the the fact that it's a web based thing is is difficult, and you know especially if you have a dedicated security office, <clears throat> didn't really want five monitors with uh, di five different versions of Firefox open pointed to to a website, and uh, the the interface just doesn't quite just scream at me commercial grade enterprise ready for the big time software. It seems more like something you put in your house. And so after a little bit of solution, I found Blue Cherry DVR. And what Blue Cherry is, is a DVR solution for very much designed for the enterprise. And essentially it is a lot like Quasicore where you have a server software and a client software. Now the the server software and the client software both run, uh, well, the server software might just run on Linux, but the client software okay. runs on Mac, Windows, or Linux. Okay. And you install the server software and connect individual IP cameras to it. And then each client can have a, a different, um, a, a different, uh, uh, um, like view mode word, or whatever, like profile. Well, yeah, but it, there's, there's a word for it that, that has uh, where all the, where, where it shows all the different cameras on the screen. Um, oh, like a heads up multi multiplexer. Yeah. Okay. Each client can have a different multiplexer. And so I can have the security office. Maybe they need to see all 60 cameras and maybe the front desk just wants to see the, the 15 front desk cameras. And maybe the manager wants to see just the places where employees are. And I can set each one of those up on the individual client and the, but the server tracks every IP camera there. Additionally, I can log into the server and see if any of those IP cameras ever fail. And it works with literally every IP camera I've played with it hmm. beca because it will pull from if they save like some of them like spit out on a web page, just a different JPEG every so yes, often. Right. Some of them actually have an RTMP right. stream, you know, you, but you name it, the software can do it. And so hmm. I was able to present to them a Linux based solution with a Linux based viewing client um, that it easily competes, if not totally blows away and exceeds any of the proprietary solutions. And the quote, the competing quote that they were got, I, I was told was over $10,000. And we were able to just repurpose some of the hardware they had sitting around. So it looks so, like there is like maybe uh, a one-time fee per camera and you can buy like four cameras, eight cameras or 12 yep. cameras. And then yep, you, there's yep. also like a yearly fee for support if you want support. But the, the yearly fee is optional. So because after getting bitten by the whole Screen Connect thing, mm -hmm. I was a little hesitant to jump into this. Sure. But basically, once you buy the four camera deal, they send you the four camera deb and you can install it. And so I don't have to worry about uh, if the company goes under, I'll still be able, to the best of my understanding anyway, I'll still be able to use yeah. the software. It looks like it. Uh, it looks like that's a big part of what they're about, actually, uh, yeah, which is yeah, really they, nice. They do. They do the, the the software is an open source itself, but they do contribute to uh, upstream. So they have uh, 
on GitHub, they actually, the driver for their capture cards, oh, if nice. you want to have a hybrid solution of both IP and uh, traditional, you know, closed circuit cameras, they the driver for that is open source and they, they brag about how they actively push updates. So they are trying, I think, to be a part of the open source community. I just don't think they've 100% bought in. Um, but maybe that'll change. Hmm. You know, and I find to be what I find interesting about this is uh, they're really sort of like just try it, download it, and give it a shot. Like that's nice for us for a yeah. software like this because I've I've tried to do the same thing you, you're trying to do too. What's mm -hmm. the you know the other thing I ran into with uh, solutions like this Noah is like redunk storage requirements, just totally like eating up terabytes of storage depending on how many cameras you have. What's that like? And does it have yeah, like so a solution for that? So they have uh, they I mean the, so what we did was we have it there's a four ter there's a uh, there's a seven terabyte RAID um, that's inside of that machine so I oh, wasn't nice. overly concerned about yeah, storage sure. but it does do motion capture so basically it's only recording when the when there's motion and they also allow an additional feature that will backtrack so it's always recording on like a one minute loop and basically when it detects motion it backs up 30 seconds starts recording so that you catch the very beginning of whatever brilliant it is yeah that's nice yeah. yep that is a great that you know i've seen software that does not have that functionality and that is mm -hmm. nice so that's a pretty cool tool and it sounds like when you put in deployment recently now another tool that we use frequently in production here on the show has got an update i think uh Last month it was uh, Lightworks, which we've yep. talked about, but I don't think it's ever actually been something we've spotlighted before. No. So I, every time you see a show clip that is pre-produced that – Like I, the one we I just played. Done, <laughs> like the one we just played or the one that we'll play in a little bit, it is produced 100% uh, on Lightworks. Now, I'll be the first person to admit that Lightworks is not as open source and Libra-respecting as I would like it to be. That said, it is far and away the most professional video editing tool available on Linux. And they just released a, a, a new update. The, the, the first thing I like to point out is that Lightworks has been used numerous times – for feature-length Hollywood videos, The King's Speech, Centurion, Bruce Almighty, Pulp Fiction, uh, Aviator, Mission Impossible 1, The Nutty Professor, The Departed, all were cut on Lightworks. So it is a Holly, Hollywood-grade video tool. And in the in the segment that you're that you're going to see, I we had a couple different cameras, a couple different 60s rolling while we were while we were filming. Yeah. And the ability to take all of those yes. cameras and all of that footage as it comes into the ingest and just tell it, I need to sync all of these up. And then from that point on, I can just switch. I can say, oh, that has a better view. Oh, that has a better view. Oh, but that has a better view. And despite switching camera angles, we I don't necessarily lose. The, I don't have to resync up the audio because the audio was only captured on a single camera. And those are the kind of that's just one of the kind of features that you just don't get with uh, some with some of the other uh, competitors, maybe a little bit more open source, maybe a little bit more Libra respecting. Um, and as you're going to see, Lightworks played a crucial role in not only switching these guys, but potentially switching part of a university to Linux because of its ability to run on every major platform. They don't have to re-image the computers at the university to start to, 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 to use this software. And so this was probably the key tool this week to switching these wow. guys and subsequently all That's the other people awesome. are going to switch to Linux. Wow, holy smokes. Yeah, you know what strikes me about Lightworks is uh, – a lot of our attention and discussion in the open source community goes to OpenShot and KDN Live, which are where, mm -hmm. which are which are fine tools. Um, but Lightworks is actually one of the commercial grade options available for Linux. Not right. necessarily my preferred, but also mm -hmm. uh, I fully acknowledge like it's a fully competent editor, and we don't really talk about it a lot, which is kind of strange because like we pretend like there's no video editing under Linux. There's video editing; it's its own beast. Yeah. But but you could totally learn it, sort of like uh, Blender. This is another. Mm -hmm. This is something that's becoming a very competent editor uh, that we already have today. Um, 
GNOME 3.20 just came out, and as you mm-hmm. probably noticed, uh, with the recent GNOME releases, there's been a really well-produced video that's come out. Well, uh, we finally got a little info uh, by Bastion, who creates those videos. He posted on his blog a behind-the-scenes of how he did it, Noah, and he talks about using uh, using Blender and creating certain animations that look really slick. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to play just like a moment for you, because when you when you go sure. through this blog post, you realize how hard this is to get this right. And tools like Lightworks and Blender, which are not mutually exclusive either, you can use them together, oh, are amazing. And so I want you just to watch the first few seconds of this video and realize that everything you're seeing on the screen had to be created by and from scratch in an open source tool. And and even like the little gnome popping up animation, all of it, it's, it's a big deal. And I just want to play a second. GNOME is a worldwide community dedicated to creating a free and open source software desktop. The GNOME 320 release consists of the last six months Look of contributions from coders, designers, and writers. Look what the As window's a result, spinning. A dozen of GNOME's yeah. applications this is really well done. and a more attractive interface. So, uh, anyways, the blog post explains. So, there are competent video solutions available today on Linux, which uh, we are using in production of this show. The GNOME project is using in production of uh, promotion of their videos. Uh, so, the video editing state, while not where I want it to be, is right. Gotten better. And version two four yeah. of Lightworks, or I'm sorry, is uh, it's uh, oh. not version two four. It's uh, one uh, twelve six. Version twelve six of Lightworks. It looks pretty good. The uh, it, it's one of those deals where it I, I can think of a thousand reasons why Lightworks is not the best solution and why I don't like it and things I'd like them to change. But at the end of the day, I am so happy that I have a tool that I can at least get the same job done that I would have. Because the alternative is honestly, for some projects, you you would have to go to the Mac or Windows platform if you wanted to get those particular jobs done. And Lightworks prevents that from being the case. And so in that respect, I'm very thankful for it. Kind of in the same way I, I'm thankful for Wine, I guess. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. It's a necessary compromise. Right, right, right. Well, speaking of necessary compromises, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Go make a compromise by signing up for our meetup page. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) That doesn't really work there. No, no, it doesn't. But, you know, you never know. Maybe you're lowering yourself a bit. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. We're organizing the Linux Fest Northwest meetup there. Uh, Mr. Albert has put some really nice. Oh, look at that. He even put a capper on there with a look at how fancy he's getting. Look at that. Looking good. He's a good artist. He's a good yeah, artist. Yeah, he's got an ender on there, too, with rounded corners. And I know how you like those rounded corners, Noah. I, I do. So this is the spot we'll be updating for, like, if we do, like, after-hours meetup uh, for switching competitions and stuff like that, we'll be organizing. So go to meetup.com slash Broadcasting and find the Linux Fest Northwest event. I have it linked in the show notes directly. And uh, I have not heard, Noah, on the word yet on the after party at Linux Fest Northwest, like, if there's going to be an official one. Okay. I was not hot on last year's after party. Remember, it was at like no, that museum. No, I wasn't. But the years before have been kind of cool. Have been have been amazing. We're so we're gonna we might want to be we might want to be after party flexi and figure out. So yeah. I don't know. We got more to talk about. We'll talk about it later. But the sure. uh, uh, the part that the audience can get engaged at and help us start preparing is meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. We've been talking about the Switch Competition Linux Fest for a while, and now we actually have the meetup page ready to go. So you can go find that. It is getting so close. I, I am I am seriously working almost every day on different different aspects of Linux Fest Northwest. Uh, it's funny how it begins to consume my entire life as it gets closer and closer and closer. Uh, but I'm pretty excited. I'm really thinking this year is going to be a great one. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. All right. All right, Noah, let's do the news. Hey, it's 
the news, and this episode is brought to you by... Ting.com. Everybody go to last.ting.com right now. Support the show and get yourself a discount off a Ting device or Ting service. Ting is mobile that makes sense. My mobile service provider is Noah's mobile service provider. Rekai's mobile service provider. Everybody's mobile service provider. Why? Dude, no contract, no early termination fees, and you only pay for what you use. They take your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes, and they add them all up. If you use the phone for 100 minutes and you use 500 megs or a gig and you use 10 text messages or 100 texts, you just pay for what you use, which is so obvious that I can't believe more people aren't doing this. And then the no contract and early termination fee is incredible. And on top of that, because they hate contracts so much, they even have an ETF relief program to help pay to get you out of your current contract. Yeah, so if you go to last.ting.com, go there, you get $25 off your first device. They're unlocked devices or if you have a compatible one. And you just might, because they have CDMA and GSM networks, so you could probably just bring a phone. They have great customer service. You get to speak to a human. Or you can just get a SIM card and put it in any device you want. A fantastic dashboard. The only thing, as now over two years as a Ting customer, the only thing that I think would make Ting better is if they did my frickin' internet service. I want Ting internet. Bring it. First, a couple things off the top that you know, we should get out of the way. Sandpoint has some reasonable density, over a thousand people per square mile. Sandpoint is beautiful. Sandpoint is about a 90-minute drive from the Spokane Airport, and Sandpoint has uh, connectivity, fat fiber connectivity I want fiber. Uh, to the greater internet. I want fiber. Now, Sandpoint is definitely uh, a smaller market than uh, anything that we've looked at uh, before. And really anything that I think any commercial provider, you know, in kind of the new wave of gigabit uh, uh, has looked at before. Um, the experiment is a simple one. Sandpoint has one other characteristic that none of the other markets we've looked at, none of the other markets that Google Fiber has gone into uh, have. The best internet connection you can buy in Sandpoint today is about 11 megs a second. That is extremely slow. Uh, we are told by people in Sandpoint that their connectivity is slow, unreliable, and expensive. So the, the, the task is a simple one. You know, going into a market like Sandpoint where there will be uh, obviously a little more overhead uh, than there might be in a bigger market, um, but build costs uh, should be similar at the per home level. Uh, does the extra take-up rate that you get by having that dearth of competition uh, make up for, even more than make up for, that bit more overhead in operating? You know what? That's a brilliant idea. I want crazy fast internet. Now, I have mobile ting right now, and I use the crap out of that. I just used it over the spring break as I was traveling around. I got a MiFi and Lady Jupes. I got a couple of lines that I love. But I tell you what, crazy fast ting internet? Oh, I would love that. You can find out more. Go to last.ting.com first, and then check out their blog. It is truly mobile that makes sense. You can help change the mobile industry by just voting with your wallet. Last.ting. Dot com. Speaking of voting with your wallet, I was unable to vote with my wallet when I tried to order the new BQ Ubuntu tablet. It was a clown show, and I know I'm not the only person because I heard from others after I talked about it on air that also had the issue. So it sounds like maybe I have another chance to get it in my hot little hands because, well, at least good news for me, there's been a delay of sorts, right, Noah? Yeah, it's actually gotten pushed back by, I think, a week, if, if memory serves correctly. Yeah, it sounds about it. Uh, yeah, Three to four so weeks, depending. It's not really clear, I think. 
Okay, and yeah. so basically, uh, we have an article linked here, and it says, <laughs> BQ has quietly pushed back the shipping estimate of the world's first true Ubuntu tablet by one week. Updating the shipping information for both HD and FHD models of its tablet on its website, BQ says deliverables will take place from the second half of April. Um, and that's changed from delivery will take pl- place starting the second yeah. week of April. And then there was a, an update on OMG Ubuntu that BQ now says three to four weeks. That's where the so oh, it's like okay. first that's, it's one week. The headlines read one week, and then BQ released a statement saying eh, it might be three to four weeks. Something gotcha. tells me. Uh, here's what they said: BQ customer service. Although they could not give a specific date, they informed me that the deliveries for the tablet are not to start for another three to four weeks. Something tells me that the tablet hardware has been done for a long time since they're already shipping a product with it. Yeah, I was actually surprised that they were able, that they were able to. If, if, yeah. When I, when I saw that, my first reaction was, well, that's it. That's, that's it. We're delayed by a couple of weeks. Who cares? My first uh, reaction when they first put the thing on sale is, holy crap, Ubuntu Touch is going to be ready on that tablet that fast? That was, yeah. I was like, wow, they must have had these devices in-house for weeks already. Yeah, yeah, you would think so, but, but uh, you know, even even by the end of April, I still think that's that's pretty impress- impressive yeah. to get a product to market. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I still, I'm so, I, I I could go either way at this point. I'm so fifty fifty on the Ubuntu tablet. On one hand, it's it's a platform that I trust, and so I like it. On the other hand, I have serious serious concerns about the longevity of yet another mobile operating system, and and yet then I go back to well, maybe they finally hit this niche with this with this whole convergence thing, and and so I, it'll be interesting when they first ship um you know that will it sounds like they'll be out or uh, out almost around the time of linux fest northwest and so maybe by chance we'll get to play with one if somebody has one oh there. god i would love that yeah good call good call it'd be cool to, once i think i think once you and i get our hands on one i think we'll be able to form a more of a solid opinion mm-hmm. uh you know mm-hmm. now this instead of like we have fought, both you and i have tried at various times the different iterations of the ubuntu touch software and i think that when it actually comes out that'll be the first time that we can look at something and say all right now we can actually uh, critically evaluate this compared to ios and android and yeah. i don't and we, in a way that i don't think we've been able to do before yeah i agree that and having on actual supported hardware is gonna make a huge difference uh so this next story i thought was kind of interesting. I don't think it's going to make a huge difference, but it shows you it can happen to Linux, too. Researchers helped shut down a spam botnet that enslaved over 4,000 Linux machines. Uh, so that's the that's the headline. Known as, I think this is such a great name, uh, Mumblehard. <laughs> Come on. Known as Mumblehard. The botnet was the product of a highly skilled developer, ours writes. Okay. Uh, it used a custom packer to conceal the Perl-based source code that made it run, a backdoor that gave the attackers persistent access, and a mail daemon that was able to send large volumes of spam. Okay. That isn't all that sophisticated. Uh, obscuring your Perl code, we've actually covered that before. But here's where it kind of gets recognizably somewhat sophisticated. Command servers that coordinated the compromised machine's operations could also send messages to Spamhouse requesting the delisting of any Mumblehard-based IP address that sneaked into the real-time composite blocking list. So that is actually kind of clever. So when, when Spamhouse uh, started blocking these Linux rigs, the control server would go through the process, even figuring out how to work around the CAPTCHA, to unlist these machines from the spam database. I can't even get some of my systems unlisted from the spam database from time to time. That's incredible. Uh, in months following ESAT's discovery of Mumblehard in late 2014, company researchers worked with Estonian law enforcement and industry partners to shut down the botnet. In February of this year, the group took control of the internet address belonging to the command server, making it possible for researchers to sinkhole the botnet. By analyzing the incoming traffic to that control server, 
they estimated about 4,000 computers were infected. They don't know how Mumbleheart infected these computers. Um, they thought at first it might have been WordPress or plugins, but then a bunch of machines that don't even have WordPress installed started getting infected. Uh, so they don't know. They don't. It's obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but it's likely taking advantage of another flaw is somewhere in the stack on your Linux rig. And then once it gets in, Mumbleheart is, well, using your connection to spam like a crazy SOB. And uh, so a lot of spam was coming through these 4,000 machines because, you know, Linux rot boxes are uh, pretty solid workhorses. My takeaway, though, was, hmm, 4,000? I mean, because it's not like we're talking... Yeah, We're exactly. not talking desktop computers here. We're talking servers where Linux dominates, where there's thousands of servers. I Hundreds mean, millions. Of thousands. Yeah, millions. I, I'm, yeah, exactly. millions, yeah. yeah. You're right. You're right. I've, I mean, I own 40 of them by, by myself, and I'm tiny. <laughs> so imagine, imagine, you know, that's really, that's not that many more. Yeah. So the fact that 10,000 or 40,000 yeah. were infected. I was like, huh, 4,000, huh? So that's the, big, uh, that's the big Linux security story this week, huh? Okay, we could handle that. I mean, you know, I've, yeah, I mean... You look at like one VPS provider, they got they got more than four thousand rigs. So, exactly. So yeah, that was, but I like the mumble hard name. I thought that was pretty good. All right, how about this one? App Store Inception. I don't know what to make of this. Uh, Itch IO. Right? I think I'm saying that right. Itch.io? I have never heard of it up until this week. But essentially, I have read a little bit about it. Yeah. I, I, I read it, but this week, or you knew about it beforehand? I've, I actually, like, two weeks ago. <laughs> like, oh, okay. yeah, it's really recently, actually. Okay. Yeah. So I'd never heard of them, but apparently they are they are a, it's it's almost a competitor yeah. um, to Steam. It's for indie games. For indies, yeah. And, yeah, and apparently they have gotten their app or have submitted their app to Steam for Steam to sell their app. Yeah, on April 1st, no less, they, they use the Steam Greenlight <laughs> process to bring the Itch.io app into the Steam Marketplace, which we're not really, no one's ever really tested this theory yet to see how Valve would respond to an app store mm -hmm. being sold within an app store. The app, though, that they've put in the uh, Steam store uh, doesn't enable purchase of games. You can only view the games in the library. Uh, you know, grab your own games, get updates mm -hmm. for your games and stuff like that. Uh, but they don't have bind enabled yet. But you'll be able to launch, manage, and update your games. That's kind of cool from within this app. So this, you know what I find kind of um, big picture about this, Noah, is we always talk about uh, universal application installations on Linux. It's a topic right. we've covered semi-recently with app image and other methods, XGG app. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> And I've always thought, you know, we have a pretty good app store right now on everybody's Linux rig that wants one. It's called Steam. And you can yep. actually buy desktop applications. Like Blender. Like Blender in Steam already. Like, we mm -hmm. already have an app store, but it's controlled by Valve. And so I'm kind of curious to see where and how this goes and how Valve responds. Because, to be honest with you, this is an interest. This is... This is more interesting in testing the waters than it would appear, I think, at first pass, is this could be a precedent that gets set. I don't know. We'll see. Because it is a way right now to pretty much distribute Linux to, or to an app to just about every Linux desktop. You know they're going to have the Ubuntu runtime environment on their rig, so you'll know what library is available because they have Steam yep. installed. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it could become a and the the thing that's solution. nice about it too is being able to go into every app that I've ever installed is it shows up you know just as like a ghosted thing and then I can click on it and just click install so because part of the process when I reload a machine is figuring out what what apps I need and usually I just do it on demand like if I need something I'll just install it then mm -hmm. well that's bitten me a couple times when I got onto an airplane or something and then I realized oh crap I forgot to install Inkscape now I can't open this vector graphic and I'll have to wait till we land till I can actually get Inkscape installed. The nice thing about Steam is it has a list of all my apps, 
and I can just go through and boom, 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 nail them. And now they all just download and install. Yeah, I'm not sure I want Steam to be the app store for Linux desktop, right. but I think. Right. But it's a cool idea. It could be a. It could be one of them. And there's no, in fact, I would really suck if we only had one app store or one way for the average folk to get Mm -hmm. apps on Linux. A monoculture stinks. And so having Mm -hmm. multiple options, free and not, I think, are great. You know what else stinks? YouTube. YouTube stinks real bad, and that's why I can't play this next clip for you, because I think we'll get taken down. But Linus Torvalds uh, had a great, great TED Talk. It was like a Q&A. That's how Linus – he doesn't like to do just, like, talks. He likes to do Q&As, which is great, because you just get great stuff out of it. And he talked openly at uh, TED, and I thought it was a pretty interesting talk. Did anything – I had a couple of things I took away, but anything jump out at you about uh, his, his TED Talk, which we will link to the whole video in the show notes since we can't play it for you guys, but – yeah, I, I love Lin, uh, Linus's brutal honesty. So he 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 said uh, he said one of the things that he said that kind of struck me was, "I'm actually not a people person. I don't really love other people, but I do love when other people get involved in my project." And honestly, that sort of brutal honesty—the thing that nobody else would say, but everyone is thinking in the back of their head—is what makes him one of my favorite people. And and so he went on, and I know you were uh, a little bit in the pre-show. You were playing uh, some yeah of on the live from, stream. From, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from his from his talk, and basically it was he great. was showing his his work workplace, and basically what it is is it's a computer standing on a desk, and and he used to have a treadmill. I think he you know he says he no longer uses it anymore, but he just he's a very I'm down to earth. I just want to get things done. Yeah, he's a real have human. To be a big show. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be masquerade. Mm-hmm. There was one bit at the talk, uh, and boy, I would love to play the whole thing for you guys. It's taken just about all the self control I have not to play because it it's good and it's almost like screw YouTube. But if I do that, then people can't see the show, so it affects. Ugh. But anyways, this is the part I would love to play for you, so I'll just read it for you. Uh, they got to talking about, quote-unquote, failure on the Linux desktop. And it's a good response, and in it, Linus says, uh, I'm actually very happy with the Linux desktop. I started the project for my own needs, and my needs are very much fulfilled. That's why, to me, it's not a failure. I would obviously love for Linux to take over the world, too. But it turns out it's really hard area to enter. I'm still working on it. It's been 25 years. And I can do this for another 25. I'll wear them down. That. <laughs> See? That's brilliant. That's so we good. we got to buy that man a beer. I, I really do. I really would like to buy that man a beer. The, the only person that is more persistent than me at switching people to Linux. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, that's true. You can't really compete with Linus. But uh, great TED Talk. We'll have it linked in the show. And it's already got 286,000 views. So you'd think they wouldn't mind us playing it. But uh, I guess that's just the way it goes. That's just the way it goes. We'll have links to it in the show notes. If you'd like to submit a news story to the show, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. Go there and submit it. Or if you just want to vote or comment, that's also very much appreciated. All right, Noah, that's all the news for this week. We're about to get into something that I honestly, I think I'm the one that stepped in. I might have been the one to cause all of this. I'll tell you more about that in just a second. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Linux Academy. You know, if you want to make Linux a little bit better, it's often you that needs the training. There's a lot of things you can do with Linux. It's just a matter of knowing how to do it. Linux Academy is your tool to take your Linux usage up to the next level, either professionally or personally. I think it's a great tool. These days, I'm not job hunting, and I still find Linux Academy to be a very useful tool. 2,355 videos where you can obtain experience, download the comprehensive study material offline, and read it at your own leisure or listen to it. 
scenario-based labs that put you right in the middle of work environments, everyday tasks, so you walk away with that confidence, seven-plus distros to automatically adjust. You can choose from to automatically adjust your courseware and the virtual machine. You can keep track of your progress as you go along. It's really brilliant the way they do this. It, it allows you to conceptualize these otherwise very nebulous sort of topics, like learning Python, <laughs> into just percentages and numbers. And it, it makes it very, very approachable. It's a big deal. And plus, they have instructor mentoring available if you get stuck along the way. They have a community stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. That's like an extra bonus for you guys. The graded server exercises are like nobody else is in the business. I think they really have something special here. And the best part is, they're crazy passionate about Linux. They're super focused on Linux, and that's why they built the Linux Academy. Content just for Linux users by Linux users. I think that's a brilliant solution. They have a massively expanding staff right now. I am really impressed with the dedication. They are reinvesting the company to make the material better and greater and more relevant and current all the time. That's something most companies, when they're dealing with this type of stuff, they don't really bother. Because for them, it's just a checkbox on their website. Oh, yeah, we support Linux. Oh, yeah, you can learn Red Hat here. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, go ahead. Why you take First, go take your After Effects tutorial, and then go learn your DevOps. That's not Linux Academy. Linux Academy is hyper-focused, just the way you want them to be, on the information and on the courseware you need to learn about. OpenStack, PHP, Android, Linux, Red Hat, DevOps, Ruby on Rails, Ruby itself, Python. I mean, that's just scratching the surface, really. It is a sweet system with nuggets where you can do just a deep dive into a single topic. Availability planners, we can tell it how much time you have available, so that way you can tell it. I only have like a couple of hours this week, guys. Can you still help me get some value out of this? They absolutely can. They'll automatically generate courseware that meets your specific requirements. And those in-depth resources are yours, and they're extremely valuable. This is a great service, and you can support this show and get a discount by going to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. We brought the unplugged discount to the Linux Action Show audience because it was such a great deal. I wanted to keep that deal for you guys, too. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go there, check them out, support the show, and just see what I've been talking about. Noah and I are both members, been for a while now, and I think it's a really great service. Okay. So I think I might have been the sort of uh, the, I don't know, when, you, when you're using the snowball analogy, does it start with a single snowflake? Because I don't think I threw a snowflake. I think I threw like you're, a snowball in your face. I'm like. <laughs> yeah, but it's more fun to call you my special snowflake. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of was doubting Noah. And I was doubting this whole Emma versus Noah switch competition because, you know, we got a lot on the line. I got to shave my stash. There's a, Noah might get, have to get a tat if he loses. And so that has inspired Noah to go on a switching rampage. And I think, well. I'll let the clip speak for the rest of itself. It kind of fills in the details for you. And this is uh, um, this is just like in the last week, right? Last two weeks this happened? So, this is perfect so timing, we, Noah. So it was on Sunday, on the Sunday two weeks ago, you said something about the fact of you're like, I don't know, man, I'm just saying there are bets against you on the on the switching thing. And I'm like, man, man, I gotta start. So I gotta go find some people to switch to Linux. And so then like the very next day, a series of circumstances nice. just like pop themselves into Here my lap and allow this. Noah's rebound switchers after he got a little cold feet. <laughs> That's all it took. Okay, so this is why I'm not quite as concerned as you are with the whole Emma versus Noah thing. As I met these guys, what would you say the exchange has been uh, that that we had before I decided to come? Like when you invited me over here to install Linux, well, how how many how many times do we go back and forth? 
uh, we talked like once. I saw you in class, and yeah. then I chatted with you afterwards, and you told me to use Telegram. Yeah. And I messaged you on Telegram, and immediately you said, "Yeah, I'll come over." We'll so, so about, would you say like I could scroll one time through our Telegram conversation and sum the entire thing up? <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. And who's interested in having Linux installed? <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, so there's that. <laughs> all right, we're here at Sandbag Central. Now, the first time I've ever conducted an interview where I actually didn't have to do like any of the camera work. So I get here, and if you're not familiar with last week, I talked about how we came over to this house um, to install Linux. So I had I talked with Billy here for a little bit about Linux, and he decided almost instantaneously that he wanted to try it. And so I thought I was coming over here to help Billy install Linux. Turns out the entire house of like five guys wanted to install Linux and then as we're doing that people are like coming in through the sides and grabbing Linux disks and installing them and they even tried to convert the pizza guy to Linux and they got his curiosity up even though I don't know if he was necessarily a convert or not <laughs> so they invited me back this week and said we are doing cool things with Linux we are we have just gotten back from a trip with DC we're going to be editing all of the footage on Linux and we basically whole hog switched everyone in the house over to Linux and you should come hang out with us and check it out and I thought that seems like a great episode, is a bunch of people switching to Linux. And so we're here, we're going to be chatting with these guys throughout the rest of the night, talking about what they do. And we actually have David, what's his last name? David Berkeley. Berkeley from the New York Times is here. Time Magazine. Time Magazine, I'm sorry, I'm yeah. sorry. Time Magazine, he's from New York. Yeah. And he's yeah, from yeah, Time yeah. Magazine. Yeah. All right, so we got that straight. So, and, he, uh, and he's in town, and he's going to be over here, and we're going to be chatting with him about Linux, and we'll see if he has any interest in switching to Linux. So first of all, Billy, you're kind of the, the, the star of the show, I suppose, the guy that invited me over originally. Uh, so tell me a little bit about Sandbagger HQ or Sandbag Central. This house means so much to me. Uh, we all live here. We have somebody we just met in DC about a month ago mm -hmm. who's moving here to help make up videos and learn more about Linux and help us communicate all these things. Somebody we just met in Colorado on this road trip we went on is also moving here uh -huh. to help us. I'm moving into this house in a couple months. I can't wait. And like, it's all about bringing people like you and we happen to meet you in a class. Yeah. I mean, we grew up in the same town, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> our whole lives. Like we didn't know. For sure. I, I, I'm so glad that you're teaching us these things and we hope to give back to you. Yeah, for sure. So tell me, you have been using Linux now for a, ab about a week and I know that like you've kind of like dove in like head first and just prayed for the best, but how has your experience been so far? It's been great. It's been empowering. I actually don't feel like I have to pay for all of these services that I've been paying for. Uh, you know, I feel like we can actually do what we want to do, like what we were meant to do. Mm -hmm. and, and that is like come together and find solutions to things on our own. Uh, and, and that's like what sandbagging is all about. That seems like what the Linux community is all about. Yeah. And I'm just so happy to be a part of it. And it makes complete sense to us. Now, right, just right before we started this interview, we were talking about the Adobe Creative Cloud. And you were telling me that like, we kind of hit like the sweet spot in timing. Can you explain a little bit about why that is? My subscription to the Adobe Creative Cloud is almost up, uh -huh. and it costs two hundred sixty some dollars for everything that we want. Sure, and we're like scrambling to find a way to pay for this right now. Yeah, and then you come in and say, "Hey, there's this free video editing software, and you can learn how to do everything on your own, and you can make it better if you don't like how it uh -huh. is." Uh -huh. 
it makes complete sense. Why why would we force ourselves down this way? You know, the programs are great. Adobe programs are great, and we were talking about that. But there are solutions. There are uh, things I can do. All these different things. Maybe it takes a little more work at sometimes, but it's just like forces my mind to be creative. It, yeah, uh, isn't that isn't that a good thing? For sure. Yeah, definitely. Thinking outside the box is definitely a good way. So the, the the first thing they told me when I walked in here is whatever happens in this house, somebody has a camera rolling, and so far that's proved to be true. Every time I turn around, somebody has a camera. So we'll be grabbing footage all throughout the night, and I'm going to try and grab some interviews with some of the other awesome people that are here. We'll talk to them about how they're using Linux, and we'll keep it real, keep it informative, and hopefully have a great time and have some local pizza and beer. <laughs> what could go wrong? Yeah, there you go. Thanks, Billy. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, Noah. Noah's a friend, David. David, uh, nice to meet David you. I'm Noah. Very yes. nice to meet you. Maybe we can convert David to Linux. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so I would have been one of those people said, oh, I don't know. Linux, I assume I've never, you know, had any occasion to use it or... Right. Or... So you're a, you're a reporter, right? Yeah. And so you, you I, I assume that you deal a lot with, with various sources. Have you ever dealt with something where you had sensitive information that you wanted to make sure that privacy was, you know, kept and that kind of thing? How do you mean? I mean, well, someone will tell me things off the record, and I pretend to put my pencil down. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, mean, as a, <laughs> I remember this. As, but, as a reporter, you know, that's the time when you're like, stop. If right. it's, you know, they, they say, well, they'll, they'll, say, uh, they'll say off the record, then you just go, stop. And then whatever, they've already decided they're going to tell you, right? So if you right. just say, stop, if it's not on the record, I can't use it. And then they're just going to tell you anyway. Uh, <laughs> is what I'm like, that's a, <laughs> a, a tactic I use, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Journalistic ethics. But no, but, but, um, but so like, if you have, if you have somebody where, that they want to communicate with you and you're worried about eavesdropping, you're worried about maintaining their privacy, right? We want to be concerned about where does that information go, and especially in like a post-known world. You know, now we really have to wonder every email that you send, every text mm -hmm. message that you send, those are being logged and cataloged and indexed and then searched through. And so, how what can we do to protect privacy? And so that and so you know, if you look at like and going back to Edward Stone, so when he communicated with the Guardian, that was all Linux, right? They communicated almost exclusively in Linux. Huh. Interesting. Right. right. And, and the reason was is because Linux provided them the tools to be able to do that. And 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 as a journalist, they, you know, a lot of times you're not necessarily cross-trained in full spectrum IT security as well as journalism. And so it's it has to be a solution that is simple enough that you can just open your laptop up and and get to work and get you know get the work done. And so and they have a specific version of Linux for that. And it basically comes on a little drive and you plug the little drive in and you power the computer on and now you can communicate securely and open encrypted files and work all all this stuff. Right. And that's all because of the portability and capabilities yeah. of Linux. I think this is working now. Okay, so what he's doing here is he is signing up for a Lightworks account. In order to actually sign into Lightworks to edit video, you need an account. And so he went to lightworks.com, lwks.com, and he's, so he's going to sign up for an account. And then what he's going to do is he'll use the username and password that he creates to sign in to this video suite. Now, the nice thing about Lightworks doing it this way is that all of the codecs that you buy, or if you buy a professional license from them, you'll have access to that on any machine that you can sign into because you can essentially sign in and download your license and so that's been really convenient for me if i need to reload the machine then i get access to my professional all my professional codecs of prores and, mm -hmm. and dvx there you go we're in so now you're in so now if you click continue now you now you go right back and there's your test project that we did last oh time. great yeah yep wow cool we haven't added much yet anything actually 
Uh, we've been trying to finish up all the projects we have on Adobe. Sure. So right now we have uh, our renewal subscription. Is yeah. Oh, soon. So I hit it right the right time. Yes, you did. <laughs> and I want to finish all the things we have on Premiere so mm -hmm. that we don't have to use it anymore and that we can just keep using, using this. So I'm with Lawan, and Lawan was, I think, the second person in this house to switch to Linux. I think we, we started with him, and then mm -hmm. you, actually, you kind of switched yourself to Linux. Like, I was I was over here working on the computer, and then, like, I look over, and you're like, so Linux is installed. I'm like, it is. <laughs> so what, I guess, what got you interested in Linux, first off? I think it was when I was talking to, no, actually you, when you came in and you talked about it in our class. Okay. You were talking about all the open source and how it was more secure. And then you started talking about all the extra programs that are available because I want to play with like a lot of these video programs, more specifically like the animation ones, uh -huh. because I want to take like my sociology stuff that I'm learning and then put it into videos. Mm -hmm. But like I don't have anything to like trial and error with, and I don't want to spend all that money for it. So getting Linux and then having being having all those programs accessible to me seemed like a really good opportunity to do that. And then also the security thing. Yeah, okay, the security and privacy aspect. So when you say that you're looking for those applications for free, you mean like as a student, you're wanting to get your hands on some of these tools? Yeah, definitely. Because like different universities are always looking for like little projects or things we can show them. And I'm always looking for something where I can get the word out for what I'm working out to all the other different people I know so using those programs to portray like what I'm researching uh -huh. like I'm a McNair scholar so I do a lot of like research on the side so if I could take my research and put it into these videos it would be perfect awesome but and like windows and things like that I never had that opportunity to do anything like that because I would have to spend so much money to buy these programs which I don't even know if I'll be able to like work them or use them sure so I don't have to teach me do you when and you have never heard or used Linux before you installed it on your laptop when I came over to your house <laughs> when I when I invited myself over to your house and installed Linux on his computer and then you were off to the side and you're like I'll take that stick next and install it <laughs> prior to that you've had no experience with Linux no no at all. And how have you found the experience so far? I found it really good actually. Yeah. I mean like I'm still very much so in the beginning stages mm -hmm. with it but like as soon as you started giving us like those little keywords and sure. figuring things out it all started to make sense because it's it's like it's it's a process like yeah. it, it has like its trends and once you get one thing it like ties it to the thing before yep. and then all that so I feel like it's starting to come a little more naturally. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Let me know if you have any questions about Linux. All right. I think my favorite part about all this is the free resources. Yeah. Because, like, softwares like this cost so much money. Yeah. And, like, people who, like, dream of doing these types of things, if they learn how to use Linux, now they have the opportunity yeah. to actually, like, do what uh, they love. And, like, build their own software and tweak yeah. it and make yeah. it better constantly, you know? Like, like, the whole thing with Windows and Apple is like, you don't get to look at their code, right? Like, you don't see how they make this, but all of this is open source. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, like, when there's an issue or a bug or a hack or something, people know how to fix yeah. it immediately. So here is a... bunch of... Wait, I'm trying to find a good example. Okay, so here's, here's one. So we'll download the SVG of this, okay? Pretty nice piece of artwork, right? Mm -hmm. But you, being the ever creative guy that you are, look at it and say, you know what? 
I love that. That would be perfect for a project, a uh, video project of mine for like an intro title or something like that. What I need is, I need it to match the, the Sandbagger color scheme or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So I go through here and I open this, and because it's a vector graphic, not only does it not only does it scale, and not only does it keep all of the elements, but I can actually go in here. Uh, so you can choose a different, you don't have to do that, you can exit yeah. out of that, you can just click use. Gotcha, but, perfect. Um, so now you have creation date too as well. I like all that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you give them a name, then it makes it a little easier to sort. You don't have to right away. Right. But so if you open one of those up, you'll open in the in the source player. So click it. Yeah, thumbnail. There you go. Sweet. So there's your source player. And so this is basically just for this clip. It's not exactly. like main. Right. We haven't created an edit yet. We no, no. just we we just have a, uh, that's your source clip. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The only thing that makes it special is that all the keys are labeled, and they have they are color coded too. So like your oh, pizza man, pizza man, tell them about Linux. Yeah. <laughs> <Are you gonna? laughs> How's it going, man? Good. Have you heard of Linux? Huh? <laughs> have you heard of Linux? The like the heating place? No, no. Oh, <laughs> it's a software. Oh no, no, I guess not. We have everything we need, right? Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, it's it's a matter of you going through your clips yeah, and marking them in and out and it. dropping them into the edit. Yeah. Do you save your preference screen like that or your uh, like your layout? Like that's that? exactly that's how nice. I have it. My my file browser on the left, my source viewer, my preview, and my so, timeline at the and bottom. And you can, you can I usually save I'll drop this down. I'll shrink that down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, well, I'll just grab the top of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't need the, those to be so fat unless I'm. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm here with the man behind the camera. So this is the guy that has been providing. Basically 99% of the footage that you see, and even the last 1% of the footage that you'll see, even though it wasn't necessarily shot by him, you actually set the camera up. And like, and he jumps right into like, I brought all my equipment over to actually use, and I opened it up, but it was that weird moment where I was like, it's so much work to set all this stuff up, so I'll just have it open and maybe it will magically set itself up. And somehow it got set up. So we've been using, he's been using that, and of course he's been filming on his 7D and getting awesome footage and awesome audio, which I really appreciate. We're over here by the Sam Baker Blackboard, and basically every time I make a recommendation about something, I notice it winds up in here. So I was talking about Lightworks and how to redo a video command, Control Y. Now, the last time I was here, I'd say from about, what would you say, from about here to about here was filled with Linux commands yeah, and different and up. different repos and like I said, people. <laughs> the way it goes here, guys. Yeah. So, um, so, but, uh, but yeah, they have they have been they have been like documenting on a blackboard Linux commands, which is it's been pretty cool to see. So, Alex, I understand that you and Billy are actually going to be teaching a class next year on video editing, and that you've made some decisions based on the software that you're going to use. Yeah, uh, so we're going to be teaching a 300-level course at the University of North Dakota on the communications department, and uh, we're going to be kind of working together to create a lessons plan using like Linux, Ubuntu, and some of the free programs that um, you can use for video editing and photography uh, editing. And we're going to be hopefully utilizing it in the classroom, teaching all the other uh, students how to work together in this community mm -hmm. and. Uh, kind of uh, just utilize all the tools that are at the disposal on Linux. Now, how do you think that changes a student's ability um, 
you know, how, you know that that change in access to software. You know, so you know, I guess what I'm asking is take take that and compare and contrast that for me with a student that is required to buy the Adobe Creative Cloud and use Microsoft Office to open their syllabus and uh, you know use Photoshop to edit their their stills. How does that compare with somebody who's using Lightworks and Inkscape and LibreOffice? So we're uh, we're we're college students and we don't have a whole lot of extra money and. Uh, so by using a lot of these programs on Linux, uh, we're going to be able to save money. We're going to be able to learn how to uh, like use the program. Basically, what you're saying is that you're what you're you're trying to enable empower those students to have those ability to choose those different software choices. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. That's cool. Yeah, saving money and being part of the community is really what we're going to try to enforce and uh, enable in our students. And using Linux. And using Linux. brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But before we get out of here, we got a couple things to follow up on. Of course, we got some emails to read. Uh, that was a great. That was a great video, Noah. And if you guys want to know about more about the Sandbaker folks, uh, sandbakernews.com, I believe, is their URL. We have links in the show notes, so you can check that out. I want to thank System76 for sponsoring this here segment. Go over to System76 and try out some of their rigs. Noah, I still have not gotten my hands officially on the Oryx Pro. Remember, I've tried the pre-release edition. And the pre-release edition, I was flabbergasted. It is, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's a it is not a super super thin laptop, but for the kind of hardware you get, it's remarkably thin. Uh, See, so Oryx mm -hmm. Pro, and and also um, not that loud at all, as I recall. Now again, I was working on the pre-release model, but you would think that would just get better as as they release, and they it's also good. have. Yeah, have I've you? seen it. Oh, that's yep. right. You have played with the production model. I, I have. Yeah, buddy of mine has one, and he actually he brought it uh, to my office the other night, and my dad was was around, and my dad got, and he sold my dad on it. So now my dad is 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 thinking that he's no way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, System seventy six builds great rigs to run Linux desktops, laptops, servers from like tiny little machines all the way up to big, huge, powerful, cooled. I mean, just massive workstations that I would love, for example, to use as a Lightworks editing system. System. System76.com, go check them out, and tell them Linux Action Show sent you. So, Noah, uh, as was implied in the last segment, uh, of course, we are nigh the Linux Conversion Showdown! Join us for the world-famous switching competition at Linux Fest Northwest 2016. I'm excited. And help the cause at teespring.com slash here's the thing. I want you to win, but I also want to see you with a Vista tat. So I'm I'm like, I'm on the fence with it. And I, and I don't want to shave my stash either. But if you win, I got to shave my stash. It's like, I'm a really, I'm a mixed individual. I'm all mixed up, Noah, but I am really excited about... Uh, about uh, the showdown. So it's going to happen at Linux Fest Northwest. And uh, there was a rumor. I don't know if you saw this, but rumor has it that Emma went out for a second round of Switch Trials, Noah. Oh, really? No, that's, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, yeah, that's the rumor. That's the rumor that I may or may not have heard from a reliable source. I'm a little nervous, Noah. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. So, yeah, but uh, well, you'll find out more. You can go to uh, well, meetup.com slash broadcasting to find out more. And... Uh, also, to join us there for the big switch, Noah and Emma are going to get as many people switched over to Linux as possible, and whoever wins will be the switch champion. I'm excited. 
Okay, Noah, let's get into the emails. First one comes in from Richard M. He says, hi there, great show. You were talking about the usage of own cloud in a production environment. One listener is not uh, really, uh, one listener said it's not ready to use in a production environment with more than 100 users. I have an example of a wide-scale usage of OwnCloud. The Dutch company TransIPNL uses OwnCloud for its product stack, and I use it for, for my full satisfaction. You know, uh, Richard, you write a, you write, Richard points out, for example, like here, they have tons and tons and tons and tons of users. Um, and I will pull up the, the URL here. I've also heard from like a couple of other large companies that use OwnCloud in massive, massive deployments. Now, specifically, yeah. the ones that I heard from were using the web app of it, but... Uh, Mm-hmm. It's pretty neat. It's yeah, pretty I was a little disappointed. I was a little disappointed he didn't go into a little further of exactly what he did with it because I hear that a lot too. That there are large deployments. It'd be interesting to know exactly what, what they're, they're doing. Using it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how they're using it. And specifically, I'd really be interested to know if they're using the client side sync feature, which has pretty much been the exclusive problem for both of us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Arch uh, Arch Uber Valley is pointing out too that I think you can still uh, you can still order teespring.com slash here's the thing if you still want one. We still have the shirt up for sale, although the first batch is done. Uh, thanks, Arch. Awesome. Quick follow-up there in the chat room. Next email, so sir? Sean, yeah, Sean V. writes in and with uh, speaking on the FCC TP lockout, and he says, Hi, I own one of the recent TP-Link Archer C7 routers, and it has the locked-out firmware. I think that the TP-Link statement they released was meant to be a sarcastic hint. Basically, the open-source firmware had already gotten past the lockout firmware. DDWRT can be flashed from the GUI just as normal if you have a special firmware for <laughs> flashing TP-Link routers. You can also use TFTP flash methods to put any kind of other firmware on you want. I think the TP-Link is looking at the FCC rules as a joke at this point and did the minimal thing possible. So his point, remember last week the TP-Link we talked about said in their statement, mm-hmm. well, because of the FCC new rules, we're locking down our firmware, but we look forward to seeing the creativity of the open source community. Maybe mm-hmm. he's right. Maybe it was a little tongue-in-cheek statement. That's a good point. Hopefully. Yeah, all right. So, uh, Rawl writes in, Hello, Chris and Noah. I've been listening to last for quite a while. Great show. Uh, Notch, another converter over to Linux. I've given up on Windows for good. Windows 10 was the last straw. Keep up the good work. But don't you know? Bash is available on Windows now. Don't you know? Don't you know? Bash on Windows. It changes everything. Everything is better now with Bash. Well, good for you, Raul. Welcome to the club. Glad to have you on the Linux desktop. You know, when you send in that email, Stu, Raul, I always love to hear what you switched over to and how it went, mm-hmm. too, so you can always include that. Although, I do love a nice, tight, short email, too. It's nice and quick. If you want to send us an email, go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and choose Linux Action Show from the dropdown, or go over to the subreddit, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. Just submit it there, or a great spot to send all kinds of links, stories, projects, all that kind of stuff over there. Noah, if people want to follow you on the internets, where would they go? Uh, Twitter.com slash at, or at Kernalytics on Twitter.com. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, it this week, I don't think I had anything exceptionally exciting on Twitter, although I did find a couple of things on the internet that different memes that I posted and asked questions. And I posted one that got into a flame war with text editors yes. between Apple oh. and T5 and basically yes. everyone else. I made fun of Nano. And I like I like the one where you asked, would you put this in? Would you plug this into your computer? And I'm like, if I got a Linux box burner, sure I would, of course not. And then Noah's yeah, like, don't you learn? Or Alan burner. wrote me back like, haven't you learned anything from TechSnap? <laughs> Did he really? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Noah basically tweeted this picture of a thumb drive in a bottle, like you know, like a message in a bottle. And he's like, come mm-hmm. on, admit it. If you came across this on the beach, would you plug it into your rig? And I was like. Yeah, I think I would. I think I would. I mean, why not, right? Why? Well, it's got. Yeah, I got yeah. a Linux burner box. Curiosity would get the better of you. Yeah, yeah. Are we gonna play that? Do you want to play that clip? I do. The- yes. Okay. So, uh, would you, will you set it up a little bit more while I pull it up? Because thank you for. I almost sure. completely forgot. 
Yeah, yeah no problem. So basically, um, beginning of the, the pick segment, we actually had uh, a, a the runs Linux this week was from a gentleman that actually just switched to Linux. And he actually has an entire how-to of how he made his Raspberry Pi a network-wide appliance that allows for network-wide yes. uh, ad filtering. <clears throat> Brilliant. And so, and so uh, yeah, I promised I would play the rest of it. So if you guys want to know how to set up your very own pie hole, here, I'll continue the, uh, the playback. And uh, this should pick it up just about where we left off. How to set this up. It's really, really simple. So the first thing you're going to need for this project is a Raspberry Pi, obviously. And uh, so you want to set it up using Raspbian Lite. So download the image file, DD it over to an SD card, pop it into your Raspberry Pi, and boot up the Pi. Um, my Raspberry Pi is already set up and it's already running this, so to save me showing you all of the setup steps, uh, I'm simply going to show you the commands that you need to run. It is super, super easy, um, and uh, it, it prompts you through everything that you need. So first things first, I'm going to get into uh, my Pi. Now I've already set up my Raspberry Pi with a static IP address. You didn't need to do this before running the installer. The installer will have you set up an, a static IP uh, eventually because you need it for this to work. Um, in my network uh, architecture, I've already got uh, a reservation made for the, uh, the Pi. So I just went ahead and set that up before I even did any of this. So now that you're into your uh, Raspberry Pi, you need to go ahead and install uh, Pi-hole. Pretty easy, um, just running, running this command right here. Now again, I'm not going to run it just simply because mine's already set up. When you run that command, it takes it a little while because it's got a lot of packages to download and install. Um, a lot of things that need to, uh, it needs to set up first, and then it prompts you to set up the, uh, the few remaining items. One of the things that it does prompt then is what network configuration you want to use and making sure that you're using a static IP. Once you have that set up, the Raspberry Pi is, it's set and it's ready to go. Next thing we need to do is set up our router. You need to tell the router to use the Raspberry Pi as the DNS server. This is pretty easy to do, uh, and I'm going to show you using my router. Obviously, unless you're using the same router I have, you're going to need to uh, figure out um, how you set it up for your own router. Uh, I have a Microtic router. It is scary awesome in the stuff you can do with this router, and I love it. So uh, IP, DHCP server, and then this shows you will be the default uh, server for, um, uh, for your setup. So the first thing you need to do is remove it. Now when you do that, don't navigate away from this page. Don't, don't mess up the next few steps. It is important to make sure that you set this up right or else uh, you're going to have a bad time. So remove it and go immediately to DHCP setup. We want to set this up as a master local, the address space being 0.0, the gateway 0.1, and the addresses to give out. Now I set my network up, uh, everything above 50 is uh, static, and then 50 and on is uh, what it will assign for dynamic. 
So you can set that up how you want to. Next up, the DNS servers. Uh, you simply point it to whatever the static IP address is of your Pi. And that sets the Pi up as the DNS server for your network. As a secondary, you can, in case the Pi is ever down, set in Google or whatever you want to use for a backup uh, secondary DNS server just simply because of the way mine is set up and for testing I wanted to make sure that I was using the Pi so I only set it up uh, and my Pi runs on a, a UPS so I'm not too worried about it going down um, while my network is still running so I have that set in just on its own uh, so you set that you give it the uh, default lease time is set there and uh, you're good to go now um, so the Pi is set up Pi-hole is running and your uh, router is using the Pi as the DNS server for your network. Uh, the only real thing you need to do now is restart everything on your network. Uh, computers need to be rebooted so that they are assigned uh, the Pi for their DNS inquiries. Now with that, um, you have uh, any of, your D any of your inquiries running through the Pi, uh, run through the Pi Hole system. Uh, there is an admin console, you just go to whatever the IP address of your Pi is, slash admin, brings up this really nice console, you got some great metrics on here to use. Um, and uh, it also shows you the current status of it. The newest version of the Pi Hole software um, makes blacklisting and whitelisting sites a lot easier. Instead of having to go in and run a script, it's just simply a single command. Uh, so if you find that a site is not getting blocked, or sorry, an ad service server is not getting blocked, or one that is getting blocked that you don't want blocked, there is a blacklist and a whitelist option. It's very easy, you simply run uh, Pi-hole and then whatever argument you want to give it. Uh, so tack B for a blacklist and then just immediately follow with whatever the domain is that you want blocked. Uh, tack W for a whitelist, whatever you want to whitelist. And with that, the Pi-hole is set up and running. Um, and anything inside of your network will get to enjoy a wonderful ad-free experience. So, happy ad blocking. That was awesome. And uh, I'll see if I can't pull the video out and maybe have it post in the show notes because it was a little hard to read with the 4K resolution in the show itself. Yeah, so that might help. For sure. But that was really nice. That was uh, nice to send that in. And <clears throat> essentially what you get is DNS level, network-wide, ad blocking and track tracking blocking, which is mm -hmm. great for all kinds of use cases. Bandwidth, kids, personal preference. I mean, that's awesome. So thank you, for Volan, sure. Volan, for putting that together and sending it into the show. Uh, now, no, I think that just about brings us to the end. So one last thing I'll mention is, you know, we do these shows live over at jblive.tv on Sundays. You can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get it converted to your local time. I'd love to have you join us live because uh, we just might be taking calls next week. We didn't have our screener this week, so we didn't want to do it uh, because also um, I'm running out of here to go to my, uh, my son's birthday party after this. But next week we will probably take calls, and so it would be great to have you join us live if you'd like to call in and, and chime in on a topic or hang out in our chat room. You get a lot more show, too, when you tune in live. So jblive.tv is where you watch it. jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar is when you find out for this show and all our shows. And guess what? automatically converts to your local time. It's like some kind of magic. You can follow the network at Jupiter Signal on Twitter to find out news announcements. You can follow me at Chris LAS. I usually just tweet about random things. And you can also, of course, 
contact us, like I mentioned earlier, at the official contact page. If you don't like any of those other avenues, good old email is also just fine. Anything else we need to cover, Noah? I don't think so. I think... Uh I think that just about does it. <laughs> that was. I think you're probably right. That was that was a very, very interesting uh, little uh, um, couple of different clips you put put together, like we mentioned at the top of the show, that were done in light work. So there you go. On Linux, I think is the more. Oh, yeah. One. I guess we should probably <laughs> mention that, too. <laughs> yeah, see us. Yeah, because I guess you could run Lightworks on those other systems as well. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. And we'll see you right back here next week. So you've ever, have you ever had this moment? And I think you're going to know what moment I'm talking about here in just a second. But it gives you like this really creepy like, oh, what's been going on? So I walk into the studio and two things are sort of like, what's going on in here? Right. First thing, the curtain rods knocked down and the curtains fell down. So all okay. the light from the sun is, from, is coming in the window and it's yeah. screwing off my, my, my lighting. Yeah. The other thing that's kind of weird is there is a machine on the network that I don't recognize called Defiant. Like, you know, when you, like, bring up and it auto-discovers machines on your network? Yeah, there's a machine, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a machine named Defiant, which I can't ping anymore. Uh, but they're, they're, like, it was, like, it was in the uh, auto-DNS discovery stuff because some of these machines were left on, you know? And so I got, like, this really weird sensation right now because, A, my curtain rod got knocked down. And, B, what's weird, too, Noah, is it's not just the curtain rod. Like, the hooks that hold the curtain rod are still up. So they didn't fall off. The curtain rod was picked up and dropped, like... You follow what I'm saying? Like the curtain rod uh, well, holders the, are still on the, the wall. Here's the question that immediately comes to mind: Is what does the beard say on this? I haven't asked. I don't. I mean, I doubt it was him. I really. I mean, no, I, would, I know maybe it wasn't him, but the, he he would know he if someone never, was here. The only, the only other person here, to my knowledge, was Angela, and she doesn't have a computer named Defiant, and I don't think she'd be taking down the curtain. So I don't really know what's going on. It's like. It's weird. It's like somebody was here because there is an echo of a machine, and that's that was like my first like, whoa, why is there a machine on my network I don't recognize, and how did that happen? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I hate that. So here, let's do this. Let's get the MAC address for Defiant. Oh, you can get it from the firewall. Yeah, let's let's figure out what who owns this machine. I love it. I love it. Awesome. We're doing a little. <laughs> All right, we can figure out the brand, and we can go from there is what you're saying, yeah, right? Yeah, that's nice. Cool. All right. Inve- Investigator Noah is on it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so it is a, a, a Han High Precision. So I would guess it's one of those cheap Chinese uh, Android knockoff phones. Hmm. Hmm. That is strange. I don't even yeah. recognize. I don't even recognize that brand. Do you yeah, recognize that brand? No. No, I, w- I would guess it's one of those. Uh, I would guess it's the radio manufacturer for one of those, um, like, knockoff. Like an Android or, tablet? Yeah, or... the, like, the really, yeah, the super cheap ones. Han Hai Industry. Yeah, they're made by, yeah, Foxconn is the manufacturer, so you're probably right on. Asus so, uses them. Uh, the, the, Gigabyte. They were, there at, they were there at 602 on the 5th. That was the last time the network saw them. Oh, that was a few days ago. 602 on Tuesday. That might have been West. That could have 602 yeah. p.m. though. That would be too late for West though. Hmm. Yeah. A mystery is afoot in the JB Studio. Defiant makes me think it's a Star Trek friendly hacker. That's what I. Well, so I'm good. You know, Defiant is the name of a what? My, my controller. My my. Uh, <laughs> it would actually be 402 because my controller is in Central Time. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, four yeah, is, 402. Four, the last. Yeah, that's when we wrapped up. On, we wrapped up unplugged kind of late. So that could be. Yeah. yeah okay. 
So that yeah. might be defined. That doesn't explain your curtains. That doesn't explain though. the curtains, but that explains the strange machine on the network. That makes me feel better. Because, you know, that's weird. Because you get back from... Cause, oh, hi there. I left on Tuesday night for spring break, took the kids on a spring break road trip. And right. uh, so I haven't been back. I stopped by briefly, like, for, for a few moments to drop something off and then left. So, mm-hmm. like, there's a large, an unusually large period of time for me not to be here. Because usually I'm here every yeah. day. Uh, seven days a week, pretty much. Uh, yeah. So it was weird to come in after being gone for a while and have a few things change. Like, what the? What's going on? What's going on? So I got three stickers today. I was thinking. Of, I was thinking about paying one of these on my my rig today. Yeah, you should. In you celebration should. of Linux Fest. Well, about. what are they first? I guess I should. Say. I got uh, the last year's Linux Fest Northwest uh, totem pole. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. I got the MDM uh, Mozilla Developer Network sticker, which is just kind of a cool circular yep. badge sticker. Yes, yes. And then is. I got this one, which I like a lot. Open hardware comes with source code, source code, and a screwdriver from the keyboardio uh, guys. That, that should we... be the first. That should be the first sticker you on your so? computer. All right, here we it go. Should be, it should be somewhere prominent, like upper left or upper right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking upper left because then it has a better shot of getting on camera. Although I like the JB logo being there too. So maybe I yeah, should. Yeah, well, I think you should have a Jupiter Broadcasting. It just, the dated stickers, like, that seems like something cool to put, like, on something, like, that will live forever. Yeah. But, like, having the 2014 one on, on your yeah, current laptop. Yeah, okay. So I'm going to take, uh, take this guy right here. So let's see. Open hardware comes with a source code and a screwdriver. And I'm going to put it on the Apollo. And I got the, uh, I got the uh, as you know, I got the uh, vinyl uh, uh, matching. Uh, so that way I'm, I'm color coordinated with my, with my laptop. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> maybe I'll put it like, maybe I'll put it like right here in the bottom corner, right there on the left. That's kind of oh, nice. Yeah, I'm right. cool with that. I'll do that. I'm gonna, I'm hoping like every year, or so I'll get a new vinyl sticker, or maybe less than that every six months. Uh, or it depends on how many conferences I go to, really. Because I like gotta to... put the you gotta put the uh, the the sticker then up somewhere, like the cover. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, they become yeah yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they're supposedly repliable, but pfft, who wants to do that? All right, so here I go. I'm putting it on. No, I'm putting it on. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. The first sticker on the Apollo. Da, 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 da. Not even on straight. Not even on straight. Who needs That's it on That's what it's supposed straight? to be. Yeah. That's the way it's supposed Who to be. Who needs it on? That's the first one, and I'm hoping to just sticker the hell out of that thing at Linux Fest Northwest. Sticker the hell out of it, though. No.